Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, kind humans. Hopefully you're doing great on this fine whatever day it is you're listening to it. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast like it's a radio station tuning in. Who the heck am I? Downloading it. That's what I meant to say. But you are here to listen to people who are talking about independent music, who are involved with it, who care about it in a deep, deep and foundational way. And I am excited. I'm actually bringing this to you a day early because uh, I'm still doing some under the hood maintenance in regards to podcast hosting and a bunch of other stuff. Nothing will change for you, the listener, but um, I just have to do some file shifting and all this stuff. But anyways, the guest this week is Marco Walzell. And I'm probably butchering his last name, but I'm going to say it slowly. Walzell. He is an amazing human being. He runs a company called Avocado Booking over in Germany, and they are one of the preeminent booking agencies in Europe and uh, UK. Like, they just, uh, he's been at it for 20 plus years, is a lifer, played in a band called My Hero Died Today. And he um, he's just an incredibly kind human being. I found him to be so awesome, not only in this conversation, but for the many years that we've been friends. And the first time that I interacted with him when I was working at Century Media Records and I was uh, pitching in bands to take over for tours and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes when you're pitching people, they don't have to be nice to you or even respond to you. But Marco, I always found just to be really engaging and um, friendly. And then when I met him for the first time, many, many moons ago uh, at a Unbroken reunion show, because Unbroken is one of his favorite bands of all time, including me. And um, yeah, just great human being. So, but Avocado Booking, I cannot state how important that is to the lifeblood of the music scene uh, over in Europe. And he's been bringing bands over there for so many years. And if I say Marco from Avocado, most people are like, oh yeah, that's cool. So big shout out to Marco for taking out a time of his day to come on to this podcast because he doesn't do a ton of these things. And so I was really appreciative of him being interested in this. So what you can do to support the show, you can first of all always email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always appreciate that. You can also toss some star reviews on either Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling oh so inclined, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts. I would appreciate that. Makes this podcast look legitimate. I mean, it is legitimate, but you know what I'm saying in the rankings and all that sort of stuff. I also want you to know that, uh, you know, shows, they're obviously back. Like people are coming through on tour. I've been to a few recently. I saw Anxious and then I also saw Thursday and uh, both of them were really great experiences and it felt so cool to be in a room with a lot of people and feeling relatively good about it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's awesome. It's so cool to watch shows coming back. And I know we all have to be mindful and careful as this thing, um, you know, 
constantly evolves and changes, but it felt great to watch bands play live because it's been so, so long. So anyways, um, yeah, let's talk to Marco. He's just a great human being, and I loved to be able to pick his brain because, um, yeah, the independent music scenes in um, America versus Europe and Germany more specifically are just so different, and I love to get his perspective on it. So that's what we got. So let's talk to Marco. I, f- I know that I we first came across each other when I was working at Century Media, and mm-hmm. uh, I immediately was drawn to you because obviously us hardcore kids can always smell each other out. And but above all, you were incredibly, in my opinion, nice and engaging with the ideas that I was tossing your direction. Whether it's like, "Hey Marco, can you try to book this band?" or <laughs> whatever I was pitching you at the time. And uh, it, I- I'm sure you have received this uh, stereotype before of you know usually german people are very uh blunt and uh you know <laughs> they, they uh, pretty strict they, pretty straight no exactly <laughs> yes exactly all of those things and so I, I tried to put that in my head where i was like oh marco is really cool like he's not like other maybe german people who i've met uh, <laughs> is it um is it one of those things that uh, you feel like that stereotype is sort of true, but then also you yourself don't really fall into that category? Very fun question. I mean, I don't know if there is like a typical German behavior, but I mean, it might be a language barrier. It might be some sort of a cultural thing as well. But um, yeah, I mean, people over here are pretty rationalized, you know, I mean, when it comes to business, like, you know, we make sense of the numbers we work with and deal with. And, but I mean, generally speaking, you know, if, if, for example, when you said you were excited about something, I usually get excited when people are excited. And um, if you, if you explain a band to me and you're feel very good about them, like, you know, I, I take on your emotions and I try to share your excitement and i mean that's why you know i'm very passionate about the job i do you know music is very can be a very passionate thing you know and um a very emotional thing yeah so right no that that's really interesting that you phrase it like that you are reading people's enthusiasm because i do and i'm sure this has been shared with you because you have worked in the music industry for so long that it's easy to get into the simple business mindset of, you know, for your example, oh, I can book this band and, you know, make a lot of money because, you know, they they are popular or whatever, or the flavor of the moment. But then you might not feel an emotional connection to either their music or those, the people in the band. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's hard to marry those two ideas. I mean, here's the thing, you know, like, I mean, running avocado and starting avocado has never been about money, you know, it has been about sharing and creating ideas that we can all feel excited about. And, you know, and if the money is there at the end, great, you know, and, um, but I've never taken on a band in my whole life ever with just with the idea to make money off that band. And that's why I get excited about, you know, if we, sh- if, if you and I can bounce off ideas and create some good energy about a project, then that makes me feel very excited about it, you know? And then, I mean, the general tendency with whatever I do is like, if I start something, I want to see how far I can push it. And that's just me trying to, you know, see how far we can take it, you know? If it- mm-hmm. Talking about music, you know, if we if the momentum is good and we feel like uh, a small club next time, you know, let's see if we can fill the bigger club. And if that goes well, like, you know, we'll just push it until we we reach a limit. And but at the end of the day, it's all about feeling comfortable and like um, feeling good about the project, you know. And I mean, obviously, like at this point, we work with some well-established bands and some of these bands make us good money. but 
I mean, <laughs> you don't have to believe me, but money was never the, the motivation in the first place, you know? I mean, we yeah. created like an independent business. I mean, we not we started as an independent business, and after twenty five years, we still are an independent business. You know, so I mean, right. I I don't have to take on any bands that I'm not excited about, and um, they're very. I mean, there are hardly any bands that I work with purely because of other financial reasons. I mean, there's always a good reason to work with a band, and money has never been the main intention. Right. Yeah, that's never been the number one reason. Right. Right. And I, I think, you know, yeah, I, th I think that's, that is why the, the company that you have put together is longstanding, you know, people trust you and you've been able to develop these relate these real actual relationships. Cause I think there's a lot of people that expect the music business overall to be just about, you know, who, you know, which of course it is, but then also it's the fact that people can place their trust in you and know that you are trying your best for them. And I think a lot of times people lose that focus. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've never been in a position where I feel like I lost focus, you know, I mean, obviously by the time, even if you start as a DIY hardcore kid and you, you, you do this for almost like three centuries and I mean, you get in touch with like several people also from the mainstream music business, the overall festivals, the promoters, you know, so, I mean, you really see both worlds and if you connect both dots, like, you know, the, the more independent DIY approach with like the call it the stricter business approach where money is the main factor and you try to connect both. And for some bands it works, you know, if it's a fine line, but um, I mean, I, I think we've proven we can do it, you know, and I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of putting the focus on you because we'll we'll talk a little bit more about your uh, you know booking experience with Avocado a little bit later, but um, mm -hmm. just like simple biographical information, I was trying to uh, figure these things out because uh, you know you and I haven't had coffee where I've been able to be like, hey Marco, tell me about your your childhood or whatever. <laughs> Were you actually born and raised in Germany? Yeah, I was born in in Munich. Uh, I've never left Munich. I I mean I, I traveled around the world i played in bands but i've never felt more comfortable than over here in munich and i don't think i will ever going to leave the city and um i mean i was born in 74 i'm 47 at this point turning 48 in january um i grew up on music you know my parents are pretty young they were 18 they were kind of like hippie-ish rock parents um I mean, I got introduced to to music at a very early stage when I was like six years old. My dad took me to a record store and told me I can I can pick my first album, my first record, and I pick Kiss Unmasked. Nice. I, I, I guess I just picked it because of the great album cover. I had no idea what the music really sounded like. And um, sure. Yeah, and um, I got my parents took me to the first show when I was eight. By 10, I saw ACDC and that introduced me to like the heavier music. And I'm, I became a metalhead. And until I was 15, I was like a full metalhead and went to metal shows. And then there was this German metal band creator. And like Miller, the singer from Creator, always had this bad religion shirt on, just the, the cross crossed through. And, um, I was always like very interested. Hey, what is this shirt? And that introduced me to bad religion at one point and I bought no control and that opened up a whole new world to me. And that's when I got introduced to the DIY hardcore punk world. And um, ever since then, everything changed, you know, it opened up a whole new world and it introduced me to tools that I haven't had before. And um, the whole aspect of if you don't do it yourself, then nobody does it for you. Open up a whole new a whole new chapter, you know. I started a fanzine. We start. We did a record label. I played in various bands. I promoted shows locally, and um, and at one point we also started Avocado Booking, which we run until today. Right, right. <laughs> and I'll um I'll I'll hit on some of those individually. So, uh, are you an only child, or do you have brothers and sisters? I I had two brothers. Um, I still have one brother. My my mid brother, the I'm the oldest, and the, the the brother in the middle, he died like ten years ago. He over he overdosed on heroin, and um, yeah, but I still got one brother. Got it, got it. Um, and so 
I'm sure because you came from your uh, the family of young parents, and like you said, that probably was the reason why they were introducing you to so many cool um, you know bands because they were very young themselves. Whereas some people that have the experience where their parents are you know very like much older and don't introduce them to anything besides like you know the Beatles, which is fine. But um, did 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 you um, I guess kind of feel like your parents' taste? was i guess cool and and more accessible for you or was it still like oh that's the stuff that my parents are into so i gotta find my own things i never felt opposed to my parents music i mean my dad was always like i mean some of the music my dad listened to i really enjoyed back in the days already and i mean to be very honest like some of the bands we're, we're listening to when i was a small kid i I enjoy a lot more these days, you know, the foreigners, the Rio Speedwagons, like, you know, the classic rock, like the classic hard rock. And at this point, I like that music a lot more than I used to like it when I was like a little kid, you know. But no, I never felt the urge that I had to do something myself, you know, that I had to be opposed to my parents' um, taste of music. But right. I mean, yeah. What kind of, um, so as you started to go to, um, you know, your, your early school years and, uh, you know, starting to experience more of the world. Uh, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Were you, um, you know, outgoing? Were you more introverted? Did you like to play sports? Where did you find yourself? I was, I guess I was, I had a good self-esteem, but at the same time, I was a little more introverted. And um, what always played a big role in my life was sports. I guess I joined, I was seven years old when I joined my first like football soccer team. And um, so sport played a big role until I was like probably 18 years old. Um, I did skiing. Yeah, I mean, football and, and skiing was pretty much like the two main sporty focuses when I was like still a young kid. And um, and the big change came when I got introduced to hardcore punk and um yeah, I mean, I was like 16, 17 years old when I got sucked in into this whole like DIY underground scene, did my first fanzine and promoted these shows. And that's when I lost interest in sports. But that came back like, um, like 10, 15 years ago. I got, no, no, even like, I'm lying to you. It got back like 20 years ago when I got introduced sure. into martial arts and um, I got reintroduced to mountain related sports. like. A, way, a little over 10 years ago again and um yeah so yeah they start yeah. well I, and i think too especially when you start to get into punk and hardcore it's so all-consuming that you're like this is the only thing i care about i don't have time to you know play sports or whatever because like you said i'm, I'm booking shows i'm <laughs> doing a fancy and i'm doing all these other things and i don't have time for this yeah, totally. I mean, that was it. That was my whole world. That, that was the only thing that really counted. That was the only thing that made sense to me. That it, it was the only thing that made me happy. And um, and the more the more this this whole thing became my job over the over the years. You know, the more I needed something to separate myself again from from the job, from the daily grind of like the whole music thing. You know, and um, in order not to burn out, in order to stay inspired, in order to stay focused. Um, I mean, at this point, I recommend it to a lot of my friends and people I work with. You know, if you want to be successful in something, you need something else that you can separate yourself from from time to times, where you can shut off and, like, you know, be in the moment, be in the zone. And, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, music business and music life business is a very fast a fast living, a fast paced space. And um, if you don't take care of yourself, then you burn out really quick. And I mean, history has proven it over and over again that music can be one of the greatest things, but it can also be very destructive. You know, the drug abuse, the the, the burning out, the, the overall face of depressions that a lot of people in the music business suffer from. And yeah. So that's yeah. why sports in general play in a very important role to me. In sure. My it's a, yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance. The, um, so like you said, as you started to, you know, go down the rabbit hole of getting into creator and then getting into bad religion and then finding, you know, punk and hardcore, uh, Germany in general has always had such a strong, 
you know, hardcore and punk scene to where not only were there like local German bands, but like as the scene started to become more global, there was this idea of like, oh, you know, <laughs> bands would tour just in Germany, you know, and bands in America. I mean, you know that. Um, so was it interesting for you to kind of, as you started to become uh, more involved with the scene, where you did notice, uh, I guess, these bands that had a desire to, you know, come over there and tour. Um, was it interesting for you to see that globalization? I mean, there's a general, when you refer to the hardcore scene, there is a general thing where people over here value bands from overseas a lot more than they value their local bands. I mean, if you were from the U.S. back in the days and you toured Europe, you have, your, your chances that you made it further and far, uh, that you made it further than any of the local bands was was pretty high. And um, I think the opposite is, quite the opposite is in the actual metal scene, you know? I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot more German or European metal bands that have like, uh, that had like global exposure and that made it into the worldwide metal music scene. And I couldn't really give you five German hardcore bands that established themselves as an international powerhouse, if you want to put it this way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it, and it do was you know interesting. What German, bands do you do? what German bands do you have in mind when you think about German hardcore? Yeah, I mean, I think like there's just certain bands. I mean, I know like once Lost and Found Records and like, you know, Rikers mm -hmm. and a lot of those. I just, <laughs> which I know, I mean, it's not common. And I know Heaven Shall Burn and, you know, Caliban and all those like. Oh, of course, the, but they're pretty metal at this point. Exactly. But like even at the mm. start where it's just like, you know, it, it, it felt like especially here in America, there was this real um ease to be able to like lump you know the german hardcore scene the swedish hardcore scene and you know h8000 oh, of course yeah like, it, it was I easy agree. to be okay, like cool. good point yeah, yeah. right mm -hmm. right so it was kind of like wow there's a lot of stuff happening over in europe um the refuse <laughs> the liars yeah the man lifting yeah. banners i agree just those are great bands i agree okay Right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I, I agree that, that you, there, there might not have been these, you know, really specific, you know, German hardcore bands that like, you know, waved. But the that banner. was the late, the late nineties, early, early 2000s. Exactly. And that, I think that was also the switch when, when things became more commercial, when like the labels, the central medias, the nuclear blast, the metal blades picked up the first like metalcore bands and actually like found out that you can make money with these bands because they draw more than the average hardcore band, you know, and um, that's when things right. got a little more commercialized. That's when things picked up. And I think that's also like kind of the starting point when Avocado became a more serious company, you know, and not just focusing on the more DIY bands, playing small squats, small DIY places. I think the early 2000s was like when this whole thing like took off a little more than it used to. Right. Yeah. And I always found it interesting too, where certain bands and yes, like you said, that once larger labels started to pay attention to the metallic hardcore stuff, it, it, it gave them the opportunity to reach a wider audience. But I always found it interesting where it's just like a band like Turmoil, where it was like, you know, they did a decent amount of stuff over in Europe. And I know Chokehold and a bunch of other bands that you've, you know, toured with and booked for, but I just always found it weird where it was like, Oh wow! Like that's cool that this band could go over for two and a half weeks and in Europe and you know play much larger shows than they would here in the states. And it's just it was interesting to watch those two territories play off each other. Totally, I totally yeah, I agree. And I mean, I was referring to that before. I think there were quite a few bands that had like a, a much bigger presence in Europe than they had anywhere else in the world, even in their home home country. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's and I mean it's still it works in reverse as well, where you have these bands that have long-standing careers thanks to the festivals and touring and you know Europe and Germany and otherwise, and they have a hard time drawing two hundred people over here in the states, but they can still be a band and still be popular, like Sick of It All or Night or whatever, because the embrace to those bands is much longer in Europe. You know, it's not as uh, I guess um, you know fickle as here in America. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, if you establish yourself in Europe, 
you can take advantage of that for a long time if you're smart and if you're not yeah you can totally take advantage of it for a very long time i mean the sick of it all the agnostic fronts and all these bands have proven it merchandise is the lifeblood of all things music and rockabilia is the place where you can tap in to that vein of life's blood basically just getting you band merch i know it sounds like really maybe morbid or gross in a way but I want you to go to rockabilly.com and use this promo code 100 words or less. That will get you 10% off your order and you will be able to consume all of the awesome goodies they have there on their website. I actually did a really cool partnership with them. I do a podcast with the Under Oath guys and we're doing a deep dive into their newest record. And they actually did a special merch item specifically for this podcast, which is really, really cool. Um, that podcast, not this 100 words podcast, but anyways, there's just no shortage of awesome things over there. It's all independently run, ships fast from the Midwest, and uh, I just love this company so much. So rockabilly.com, 100 words or less is the promo code, 10% off is what they'll give you, and then also give you a bunch of awesome band merch. So check it out, and you will enjoy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks, Rockabilia. It seems like when you first started to get into the scene and want to be active, um, I know you're vegan and straight edge, and it seems like a lot of the stuff that you got attracted to initially was were these bands that had more going on for them than you know just a, a cool mosh part or whatever. So you're attracted to the politics and uh, you know a lot of that, and that obviously came through you know with the My Hero Died Today and the bands that you you played in. Um, what, uh, w- was that your initial attraction to punk and hardcore was the fact that these bands had a message behind them? That definitely played a big role. And, um, I mean, before I got into like hardcore punk, like, um, I guess I was raised by a pretty open, like lefty parents, you know, and they, I got raised by the right rules, if you want to put it this way. And I mean, I found myself like at, at protests already at a young age and, um, you know, and then this whole punk rock and hardcore music and the the overall aspect of like self-empowerment and 
fighting for social justice um, definitely sparked my interest in, in that music a lot more than than metal did back in the days. And um, metal was a very consumering scene, you know, it was all about partying, being drunk and like buying the right stuff. And, um, and yeah, and hardcore, the combination of like ideas and um, combining it with like DIY ethics and you do it yourself and the self-empowering aspect that comes with it, like was very attractive to me back in the days. And, that played a big part in my life actually until, until today. Yeah. Right. And were you, you know, because you, like you were talking or we were joking about earlier, like the, the different cultures that you were, um, you know, pulling from like clearly living in Germany and existing amongst that, but then having these bands from America that, you know, talked about things that you might not have had an experience for, did that, uh, I guess, o- open up your mind even more to the fact that there were these uh, distinct differences in, you know, political structures and stuff like that? You mean in music or in general in the world? Yeah, in general in the world and then, you know, the way that bands uh, express themselves as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I was like, I mean, I was like pretty hacked, uh, heavily active, political active, like until like, I mean, to be honest, I stopped like being involved in like local grassroots groups, like probably like 10 years ago, but until I was like, um, mid thirties, like from the age of like 16, like I always had like some sort of involvement in like either anti-racist group or like students, uh, pupils groups. And like, um, at one point I was like, um, they call it like Betriebsheit over here, which is kind of like the worker re- re- representative when I was still like um, working an eight to nine, uh, a nine to eight, a nine to five job. And um, yeah, so I always felt like, you know, like if you actually want to, if you don't like the world that you live in, you have to do something about it, you know? And um, yeah, so I mean, yeah. that interest with the interest of, uh, a music theme that cares, like always felt really appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's cool. And uh, like you said, you, when you started um, attending shows and you, you know, did a fanzine and was it, did you want to play in a band uh, immediately or was that something that you kind of had to work your way up to? I think I started my first band. It was like when I was like early twenties. So not really sure if I wanted to play in a band, but it came naturally. And um, I, I tried playing guitar first. There was a band, the first band I ever played in was called Nothing Left to Grasp. We had like a few seven inches. It was horrible music wise. It was like, yeah, I mean, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I couldn't sure. really play the instrument. None of us couldn't play the instruments. But back in the days, it wasn't really about playing the instrument. It was like, you know, delivering the right message and the right the right emotion and um yeah and then i i started singing in bands my hero died today was a band that kind of considering like 90s circumstances i think we've kind of made it far you know we played way over 200 shows in europe um all within like three years and we broke up right before we were supposed to tour america and um Steve Heritage from Schematics Records and Steve also played in ASUC. He released us oh, in yeah. he he released us in America on Schematics Records and yeah, I mean that was all like uh, a very interesting and special time. And after my hero that today I, I sang in a couple more bands. And yeah. Yeah. I mean that was the only thing I could do, you know, express myself on, on vocals and I, I can't really play any instruments now. <laughs> right. Right. And no, and honestly, like that when my hero died today, I mean, that definitely hit over here in America, as far as like, you know, nerds like me who were paying attention to, you know, everything that everybody's releasing. So Mm -hmm. I remember hearing that and being like, Oh, cool. Like this is, you know, metallic hardcore that's influenced by a lot of the stuff that I like, but there's this, you know, political undercurrent that I really like with, you know, bands like catharsis and, you know, all the crime think stuff or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. it, it was cool. You're right. Where like, just to get, 
where you did where you get some random kid like me from california paying attention to your band like you know you're like that's <laughs> that's pretty far like i can't believe we got it there pretty far yeah pretty interesting i had no idea <laughs> yeah no exactly and we actually um, wrote new music I know that's right because you you released uh, you, you released a couple songs back uh, in 2016 or 2017, right? That was like uh, I don't even know. Like, I mean, at one point we released like a discography and released like one one song that we wrote like way over 15, 20 years ago, I think. But like um, it was before the lockdown. I was like. Um, I don't know what I did at home, but I played the CD that I haven't listened to in probably a way over 10 years. And like, I was like, holy shit, this was so good. Why did we break up at this point? I texted right. everyone from the band and was like, you know what, guys? Let's re-record this album. I mean, and everybody wrote back saying, let's, let's not re-record. Let's write, write new music. And uh, we actually did write new music. We did five new songs. Not sure what we're going to do with it. I mean. This is not my, this is not a priority for me at this point, but it felt but it felt good coming together with all the old guys with the old friends and created some new music. Will Putney mastered and mixed it, and um, not sure what we're going to do with it, but we're probably going to release it sometimes next year. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's really fun to be able to still you know maintain those relationships with friends. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah, it's really that's cool. Uh, what was what was the name of the fanzine that you did? Speak so that I may see you. Ah, oh, nice. I like that title. <laughs> how many uh, <laughs> how many how many issues did you put out? I think I had like four or five issues. Yeah, and got that it. actually got me. That introduced me to like uh, it was actually a great story. Like that's one of the things that I really really appreciate about this whole thing. Is I did this fanzine. I wrote it in English. And obviously back in the days, this whole like DIY, like fanzine structures, like, I mean, they were globally and uh, some of these fanzines made it to America. And um, at one point when it was early 20s, like um, I went to America for like a three month trip and um, I flew to San Francisco. And back in the day, I think Vic Martin from Simba, she uh, she got me in touch with like Jason from Kill the Robot. Okay. There was uh, like a, a queer hardcore fanzine and like, um, yeah. And I don't know like how it all, how, how it all came together, but I ended up in San Francisco in a house where Mike Kirsch from Fuel lived. And um, that day, I think I met Scott Bybin from Bloodlink Records. And like a week later, I met Justin Pearson from uh, Swing Kids, The Locusts, 31G Records. And um so within like the first week, I, I met a bunch of cool people and I drove around the whole country, you know, going to Golita Festival, seeing a bunch <laughs> of cool shows, saw Converge, it picked up the first Converge seven inch back then and um, ended up in, in Canada staying with Joe Cold and it was a great time. I mean, that was one of the very adventurous times in hardcore for me. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And like, it, it is so fun when you can have those experiences of going somewhere else, but then you get completely plugged into a community just because you know one or two people and then all of a sudden you know 20 because they're all friends of friends. 100%. Yeah. That's the beauty of this scene. Yeah. And it's oh, still it can, there. So, absolutely. It's the people you immediately understand the context and where a person comes from because they've been in the same small sweaty rooms as you. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. And uh, I know when you first started to bring bands over there uh, to, you know, play some shows in Germany and stuff like that, some of your first tours were with like Swing Kids and Sleepy Time Trio and 400 Years. And like you said, you know, you were booking squats for them and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> did the, um, as you were kind of putting this, this network of shows together, did you actually like the process of like, you know, booking shows or was that just because you kind of knew how to do it? I like building and I like, I like challenges, you know, and every tour is really like a puzzle, you know, at the beginning you, you put together all the pieces and throw it on the table. And at the end of the day, the puzzle needs to, you know, come out as a, a one cool fitting picture. And I mean, that excitement 
to build these puzzles is still there, like, you know, even 25 years later. So it wasn't something that I felt I had to do, but it always felt, you know, very good to like discuss and brainstorm ideas of like, I mean, at this point, you know, every successful tour has to be some sort of a package, you know, and you need to, you need to come up with like some sort of like, um, with some sort of value that, that you can present to, to fans, to people that want to go to shows. And um, I like the overall process, you know, the overall building process, discussing ideas right. on routings and support bands and package bands and who fits with whom and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, until today, this is a really cool process. Yeah. No, the, I, I appreciate you articulating it like that because I, I think that a lot of people and I know that everybody of a certain age <clears throat> understands this but it's like you have to care or like the process like the end result is cool but you have to like the process because that is so much more of what you're involved in rather than like the you know the spotlight or the glory of a tour going off or you know playing in front of a thousand people it's like that's just kind of a moment it takes you forever to get to that point Exactly. Yeah. I mean, by the time you find out as the, it's called the consumer or fan or whatever you want to call it. By the time you find out that the tour is actually happening, like you probably spend like six to 18 months already on a tour, just putting this whole baby together. And um, yeah. So the overall yeah. process is really what I enjoy the most, to be honest. And sure. I mean, let's be honest, you know, after, after every tour is done, it's, I mean, depending on how good or the, the tour went, but that's before the next tour. And I mean, this, this, this whole business at this point is so fast living, you know, and um, you can never really sit still, you know, once you achieved something, the brain already tickles and works on the next ideas. And I kind of like that, you know, I like the yeah. overall, the overall process of progression, if you want to put it this way. Sure. See how far you can push it. See how far you can take this. And yeah, I mean, that's an overall good concept to live by, you know? Yeah, it's the process. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I'm guessing that, uh, you know, as you started to get into this, you know, whole scene of music and, you know, start to play in bands, how were your parents reacting to this stuff that they probably really didn't have a context for? Were they like, oh my gosh, Marco, like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, or, or were they overall supportive over you just kind of pursuing this life around music? No, they were very supportive. I mean, there was never like any backslash from my parents when I promoted like DIY shows and people stayed in our small apartment or a small house. And um, my parents were supportive. They helped cooking, they helped preparing catering. I mean, they were always stoked on my adventurous rebellious, like, different lifestyle I was like going not going through but that I you know followed back in the days and I mean it left me until this point you know I mean it became like a, a fully established business not just for me but for for six other people like me and Yvonne still we, we run the company still even after 25 years and um, there are another five people that work for us and um, yeah so once again, the overall process, you know, step by step, brick by brick, and it all makes sense at the end. Right. Um, so when you started uh, My Hero Died Today, uh, had you, by that time, you had already obviously booked some shows and you had some experience on the more business side of the band. Um, was this, uh, when you started that band, was the idea that like, hey, you know, we are going to tour Europe and, you know, we want to try to tour the States or was that something that just kind of started to happen as you guys played more shows out there? I mean, back in the days, most of these tours were still booked by by fax or by phone and, um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you're in a position, when you book international bands and you play in a band yourself, I shamelessly, you know, took advantage of that situation and obviously like booked myself on some of these tours that I, I, I booked, you know, and um, was the overall goal to, to achieve something? Not really, you know, it was the, the pure excitement, getting in the van, getting in the car, playing a show wherever we can, no matter how far it was. And um 
there was no there was no business aspiration or there was no business planning you know it was all like go with the flow and like enjoy the excitement that this whole thing brings and um and that was like mid 90s you know right there was there wasn't much of a a big structure for for live music for DIY live music no Right, right, yeah. That there was no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the late '90s, you could maybe point to a few bands to be like, "Oh, Poison the Well is returning home from tour," and maybe they don't have to go work in a bagel shop or something. But yeah, there was yeah, no, true, yeah. Um, and kind of on that same line, uh, touring in America could not be more different than touring in Europe. Um, and I'm sure you've had to navigate having those conversations where either bands from Europe tour the States and I'm sure you had to prepare them for like, hey guys, this is, uh, you know, this is pretty different. Um, do you, and I'm sure you have a theory. Why do you think, uh, I guess, touring is so different in, uh, you know, America versus Europe? I mean, to be honest with you, I don't even know what touring in America is really like, you know, I mean, I've never really toured. I've never toured in America with a band, not being in a band myself, nor with a band. And, I mean, the overall difference is I think um, bands that come over here don't really own any of the of the production-related things that they need, you know, like transportation or background or whatsoever. And uh, since you, so, one of the differences is obviously you have to supply the right production in order to tour Europe. So it makes sense, you know, like from a organization point of view, but also from a financial point of view. The overall aspect that Europe consists of like several different countries where you cross borders, where at this point you need visas and you, and everything. And um, yeah, I think that might be the biggest difference. Sure. And I, I think too, also on the, um, the fact that, you know, bands are, uh, in my opinion, taken care of a little bit better in regards to, okay, here's a place to sleep and, you know, here's some food and stuff like that. Where in America, you're, you know, you're pretty much on your own, but I don't know if that, if you find that difference to be that, that drastic. Yeah. I mean, the overall aspect of like, uh, promoters caring is, was probably a little better over here than in America from what I, from what I can tell from what I hear. And, um, I mean, the bigger the bands go, you know, I mean, it goes to, I mean, some of the bands you work with, I mean, that goes right into mainstream business, you know, and I mean, at this point, promoters have to supply catering and bands stay on the, on, on a nightliner and the promoters have to su supply uh, the right spots for the bus and the production to to stay and et cetera, et cetera. But even on a DIY level, you know, like, I mean, Europe was always like well known for promoters taking really good care of their bands, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, I mean, I remember in my early years of working at Century Media, having to explain to bands that are coming over from Europe to the States of like, Hey guys, um, you know, you're not going to have any food at the venue or what I, you know, you're not going to have a full spread of, of, you know, vegan, vegan soup or something like that. It's like, yeah, you're going to have to go to, you know, your, your local veggie place or whatever. It's not going to be taken care of for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Um, as you were, uh, you know, learning the ins and outs of the different types of bands that you were bringing over there, because like I mentioned, you know, with you working with like Swing Kids and 400 Years, and then, you know, you probably started to bring uh, different bands of different genres over there. Um, what were some of the, and I'm not asking this question to embarrass you, but more so from a, what mistakes did you make early on that you learned a lot from? Whereas whether it's not having, you know, certain production ready or, you know, just the fact that, oh, the expenses were much larger. Um, wh- what mistakes did you make at the beginning that you really learned from? I mean, to be very honest with you, there, there weren't really any mistakes or big mistakes, you know. I mean, you you learn from tour to tour. Even at this point, you know, you become smarter with how you route tours, how you help bands put together their production and um, work out deals, work out better deals. Um, I can't really think about any mistakes that we made, to be honest, you know. It was all like growing with, growing with the process sure absolutely yeah no i i i think that yeah i mean not from like maybe like a big mistake perspective but it can be just those those little tricks of like oh yes uh, you know i i I need to be able to rent two guitars for them because they break strings so quickly or or just those random things that you learn along the way but yeah that makes sense yeah yeah um so when did you feel like as avocado kept uh, you know growing and you were able to work with a large variety of bands um when did you feel like the agency was you know i'm using air quotes here but like real where you felt like people were paying attention to what you were doing and you felt like you had um you know a good roster of bands when did you feel like that kind of first happened for you that was probably early 2000 and um i think like but at this point i'm doing avocado we're doing avocado full time for about 14 years by now so a little more than half of the time we're running avocado it's been a full-time job and i mean i used to be a graphic designer and uh, that's what i originally learned was like graphic design and um i used to work at a music club in munich doing the in-house booking and also handling the graphic design department and the club. And, um, and it is at the same time we ran a record label called join the team player records and we did avocado booking. And it was actually Mike Schleibaum from darkest hour who, who was in Munich at one point and he sat us together and he was like, Hey, this whole avocado thing is like so powerful. You keep losing money with the label all the money you make on the booking, you put in the label, you lose it. Why don't you put the major focus on avocado booking and skip the label and try to, you know, make this actually a full-time job. And, and Mike was actually very right. And after a lot of like this back and forth discussion, we decided to stop the label and um, put more focus on the booking and, I think about 14, 15 years ago, like uh, it came to the point where Avocado took, I mean, I had like a full-time job in the club and then Avocado Booking was a full-time job. And at that point, like, you know, it made sense to go all in and um, try to make this, um, try to make this work, you know, without having any other side hassle. And um, 15 years later, I never looked back. Yeah. <laughs> And with, uh, well, it's cool when you have a person like Mike to be able to encourage you to think about something a different way, because yeah, when you're 
working on something so intently, like you said, you know, you have your day job and then you're doing the record label and you're obviously doing the band at the time. And then also booking, you know, stuff with avocado. Sometimes it takes a person being like, Hey, why don't you just do this one thing? It's like, Oh yeah, that is a good idea. A hundred percent. You know, that's the overall like control freak in me. You know, once you start something, it's very hard to stop it until you brought it to, to whatever point you think it's a good point to stop, you know, but Usually, I have a hard time figuring out when I when I when I stop. I mean, at this point, I'm a lot smarter. I know my limits. I know that I also have like my personal limits that I have to respect. And um, um, but I mean, doing avocado full time at this point, there's nothing else, you know, that consumes my time other than my spare time adventures. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with, with running the record label, I know you guys, you know, did put out a, a decent amount of stuff and you did have, you know, some visibility around the world. Um, if you were to pick out, uh, one thing that you could, you know, highlight as far as being like, I, I was really proud of putting out this record, whether it's musically or, you know, philosophically, uh, do you have a, a record that you look back fondly on? I think the first release and the the first release we did was like a compilation actually, and it, it had a bunch of like great bands like International Noise Conspiracy was on it. Uh, no, hang on, that was the second <laughs> compilation we did. But we did two compilations, like the Fifty One compilation and the Can't Stop the Strain compilation, and both like um, both releases had like some great bands like uh, International Noise Conspiracy, Converge, Asuk, uh, Refusal, Reversal of Man. Um, who else was on there? I mean, there were so many great bands back in the days that were part of it. Scene Red was on there as well. And, uh, Frodus was on there. And um, yeah, I mean, that was like an actually very exciting time for us. But I mean, over the years, we did a bunch of like great records like um, Hope Conspiracy, Boys of Fire, uh, Ensign, Darkest Hour, Himsa, Shia Terra, like a, a bunch of like really cool bands. Like, uh, yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed it back in the days. But do I want to run a record label again at this point? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, so li- like you said, when you, uh, when you made the realization that you needed to be able to kind of separate from your clear passion for music and, and focusing all of your energy on, you know, booking bands and, uh, doing that from a full-time perspective, uh, I, I'm going to guess you re- you probably reached some level of uh, burnout where you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm actually not even enjoying the process. Like, did you kind of run into a wall with that or were you able to uh, think about that in advance and then be able to, you know, <laughs> separate yourself from it? No, actually I ran in, against the wall. That was like, uh, I guess there was probably like also... A little over ten years ago, um, I had a hard time. I had a hard time figuring out, like you know, when to take breaks and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like you know, I do martial arts and like a bunch of other sports. And there was a time when I forced myself to go to the gym. You know, I had to be like you know, I had to be just the best booking agent and I had to be the best guy in the gym and I had to whatever I did. I you know, I had to do the best I can and. Uh, there was one point like, you know, when I was started suffering from panic attacks and basically the panic attacks were my body telling me that I have to respect my limits. And in the beginning, I didn't really know how to, how to deal with the panic attacks. And um, I thought I can handle it all myself and, but I couldn't. And I, I did like a, a year therapy and pretty much what I learned in the therapy was like, that I have to respect myself and respect like, you know, my own like um, limitations and I have to work and approach things from a more balanced point of view, you know, and that's what I, these were like really valuable lessons I learned um, about myself, about how I generally approach things. And until today, like um, these tools I, I picked up like a very, a very useful, you know, because I'm still like, this guy was trying to push the limit on a daily basis, but I have a much more balanced lifestyle. You know, I go to the gym almost every day and uh, during the weekends, you find me on a mountain and um, the overall crossover from like business to spare time and going back and forth, like almost on a daily basis. That's what keeps me very balanced and happy. 
that that's good that you were able to recognize that because I I think especially <laughs> you know I know I I put myself in this category where <clears throat> people that get drawn to the you know extremes i.e the example of you know being straight edge or vegan like those are clearly you know quote unquote extreme um, lifestyles because most people are like wait you, you don't drink like you don't eat meat like oh my gosh and so not that is so 90s though (laughs) i know i it is so funny that it's still 2021 almost everybody's vegan you mean (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's much different than it used to be yes i agree 100 (laughs) percent. yeah Mm -hmm. um but people still at least people know the word now but Mm -hmm. most people are still like oh man i could never give up meat it's like okay sure (laughs) but yeah but anyways but that you've recognized the extreme behavior is not going to be sustainable for you to be able to pursue your job appropriately. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that took me a while and like, um, yeah, I, I think that goes for a lot of people and like people shouldn't be afraid to like, you know, consider therapy and therapy is pretty much just like, you know, trying to figure out who you are, how, why you click the way you click and uh, what you can change about yourself to make yourself feel better and happier, you know? And I think that's actually a pretty tough and like adventurous path to take. And I mean, I've never had any regrets about it. And um, until today, you know, self-reflection is like probably one of the, the cool things somebody can do you know if you're not happy self-reflect and like figure out why you're not happy and like make the right choices in life Mm -hmm. absolutely uh the last thing that i wanted to uh talk to you about where you know because you do have people that you know look up to you in regards to you know being a boss and like no one really enjoys especially coming from the punk and hardcore world no one's goal is to, you know, a oh, man, I can't wait to be a boss someday, <laughs> you know, or, or like run a business, like, you know, maybe yeah, I'll, you know, put up records or whatever, but, uh, you know, running a business. Um, ha- has that been, I-, I guess, difficult for you to navigate in regards to the responsibilities of running a small business? Not really, to be honest. I mean, if you look at the structure of Avocado, you know, we've all known each other for a very long time. I've known Yvonne for way more than 25 years. And, um, we're more like a family or orientated company, if you want to put it this way. You know, Yvonne's twin sister works in the company. Yvonne's husband, Matt, who also used to sing for a funeral for a friend, he's in the company. And um, Mac is also in the company for way over 10 years. And like um, the other people, you know, are in the company for a much shorter time. But but still, you know, we, we work on, we, we try to approach things from on an eye to eye level, you know, I don't have to push you around in order to achieve things. And I mean, it's the self-empowering aspect of people who want to be motivated and people who care about their stuff. And I don't have to tell them what to do. I mean, at the end of the day, they know what they have to do them, best themselves in order to contribute to the overall achievement of putting together the puzzle we talked about earlier, you know. So, no, I mean, avocado isn't really the, the type of structure where you have a boss that is like actually pushing people around or telling them what to do. Right. It's like you're you're the owner, but at the same time, yeah, you're not like <laughs> being like, hey, this is this is how it needs to go, guys. Like, you know, we'll all work together to achieve more, hopefully. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, Marco, thank you for letting me uh, bounce around your brain. I really appreciate uh, not only you as a human, but all the work that you've done for uh, you know our beautiful punk and hardcore scene. So thanks for coming on, man. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. I had, a, I had a good time. Thank you. That is that. Thank you again to Marco for taking time out of his day because, um, you know, we had to figure out the time frame. And this actually was a interview was a long time coming. And I had hit him up. I don't know. Gosh, I want to say like November of last year. And finally, we were able to make it happen. But Marco is a great human being. Please support all of his tours that are going on over in Europe. Avocado Booking. He runs a awesome, awesome company. And um, yeah, it's just such an important part to this whole independent music scene that cannot be stated enough. So thank you, Marco. Next week, I have a really fun chat with one of my best friends, Joey Cahill from Want to Hear It Records. 
If you are a longtime listener of this podcast, or even just a part-time listener of this podcast, you have heard him pop up all over the place from the best of year in lists to um, you know being a co-host on some episodes. He has done the damn thing with this show. But I wanted to talk to him about running a record store because he opened a record store called Want to Hear Records over a year ago. And I wanted to tap in with him because uh, both him and I uh, actually met working at an independent record store. And I was really wondering what uh, some learnings and observations were over the first year of him being in business. So um, yeah, that's what we do next week. Joey Cahill from Want to Hear It Records. So Thank you very much for listening, and until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.